At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the following day, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's our text for today. Now, Luke's account of Jesus' life actually hinges at chapter 9, verse 51, where we read these words. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, last week we, we watched as Jesus faced uh, Satan one-on-one and and masterfully defeated him for us you remember that he showed us not only that we can overcome temptation in our own lives but that Jesus actually did it for us in order to give us the power and the ability to resist temptation because Jesus is not just an example for us to follow Jesus is our substitute Jesus is our savior And so throughout this Lenten season, our series theme is this. We are called to the cross to take up our cross and to follow him. Now, between the temptations we looked at last week in chapter 9, verse 51, there's lots of preaching, teaching, and healing. Crowds get excited, religious leaders get upset, and the Roman officials are annoyed. And then from 9:51 on to the end, it only gets worse. Now, Jerusalem, you may know, is both the capital politically and religiously of the nation the name of the city jerusalem literally means city of peace and jesus is bound and determined to go there so the crowds have revolution and liberation in mind the religious leaders sincerely convinced that they are doing god's will as they strictly adhere to the rules and the traditions that they have created fear loss of control and the romans well the romans smell insurrection look we live in a world that seems hell-bent on self-destruction. We live in a nation that is more and more rejecting Christian values, and let's be honest, in part because of our own legalistic self-righteousness. We're faced with worries of war and inflation as they bear down upon us. Oh, and that, that's just the mess going on out there. 
while we try to pay the bills and put gas in the car and get the kids to all the places they need to be while we hurry up and wait for the next medical diagnosis and treatment. I want you to hear loud and clear again today that we are called to the cross of Jesus Christ to receive and then to bear witness to the unfathomable love of God that conquers it all. We're called to the cross to receive and to bear witness to the love of God. Now, if you back up just a little bit, you will pretty quickly discover that these Pharisees are really not all that concerned about Jesus' safety. Back in chapter 13, verse 10, Jesus had healed a woman on the Sabbath, which set off the ruler of the, of the synagogue and led Jesus to bluntly condemn the Pharisees as a hypocrites. And then just a few verses later, we read that they were all put to shame, but the people rejoiced at the glorious things that Jesus did. And then in the verses just before our lesson, somebody in the crowd raised their hand and said, are only a few going to, to be saved? And Jesus had replied that there will be many like the Pharisees who think that they're going to be the first in line to enter into the kingdom of God, which is the world put right, who will actually wind up being cast out. And so the commentators say that these Pharisees may have simply wanted Jesus out of their territory. Stop riling our people up. Or perhaps they were even sinisterly wanting to push Jesus on toward Jerusalem in hopes that, that there someone would finally be able to shut him up. But in either case, they wanted Jesus to go away. Now, organized religion can still be like that. Irritated by the real presence of Jesus. Because you see, it actually turns out to be easier to create a system of moral improvement for like-minded people than it is to truly follow Jesus, to love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you, to boldly and to humbly live radically generous lives. And so we must always be on the alert because we have a natural attraction to the party of the Pharisees. We are always in danger of becoming like them, religious rule brokers who are doling out directions to other people on how they ought to be living. But the truth that we hear here of our own sinful brokenness, it calls us closer. It calls us closer to Jesus, away from that religion of works which always, always divides us on the basis of performance. Oh, and in the process of coming closer to Jesus, we will come closer to each other. 
It's grace that calls us together. It's, it's truth that calls us closer. Now, the first thing I think of when I read these next verses is, is the fox in the hen house. You know, that cunning little red-tailed creature that is determined to get into the farmer's wire enclosure, sneaking around, figuring out a way to get the chickens. What I found interesting this week in my study is that this Old Testament word, this word in the Old Testament can also be translated as a jackal or as a hyena, which if you know anything about them are actually more of a, of a scavenger animal. It's, a, it's an animal of opportunity that, that preys on the weak or is even satisfied with, with roadkill. Look, Herod, I think, is more like that then he is a sly, cunning fox that we might imagine. Herod is a scavenger who's looking for easy prey to feed himself. But make no mistake, the focus here is on Jesus, and the point ought to be absolutely plain. Herod is irrelevant to what Jesus is doing and will do. Jesus is unstoppable, he's irrepressible, and he is absolutely determined to get to Jerusalem. Now, for those of us who are watching this episode unfold 20 centuries later, there's a little bit of foreshadowing in Jesus' words. For example, on the third day, now what do you hear? Well, I hear resurrection on the third day he rose again from the dead and when he did that it changed everything Jesus said I finish my course what do you hear see I hear Jesus from the cross as he cries out it is finished that is the work of salvation has been completed I must go. It is divinely necessary. This is God's plan from all eternity to rescue his precious creation from the mess that it is trapped in. Now I need you to think with me for a minute. If Jesus accomplished these things exactly as he said he would what does that tell you about his promise to come again in glory to make all things new and right forever but we are being given a firm foundation to stand on as we live in a world that is coming undone all around us we're being infused with strength and with confidence to face the whirlwind of our own lives that is so often catching us up. And then we come to the heart, to the center, to the core of this teaching. We are called to the cross to receive and then to bear witness to the unfathomable love of God, a love like a hen seeking to gather her chicks under her wings. 
In our study for the text this week, I came across this quote from C.S. Lewis's book called The Four Loves, and Lewis writes these words. Listen. You asked for a loving God? You have one. But he is not a senile benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way. He is not the cold philanthropy of a conscientious magistrate, nor the care of a host who feels responsible for the comfort of his guests, but the consuming fire himself. This is the love that made the world's. And it is as persistent as an artist's love for his work, as despotic as a man's love for his dog, as provident and venerable as a father's love for his child, as jealous, inexorable, and exacting as love between the sexes. In other words, God's love surpasses all understanding. This love that created the world is the furnace in which you were forged. And the Bible says that's where you were created. And because you were created in that kind of fire, there is no other love that can actually warm your heart. There is no other kind of love that can melt you, that can keep you soft and malleable. The love of God is the one thing needful that every human being is longing for. Look, the story of the Bible might go something like this. God says, I found a little boy once in a foster home and I, and I brought him home and I gave him everything and I, I loved him and I taught him how to walk. And when, when he was toddling along, I was there. And when he fell down, I picked him up and I, and I held him and I wiped away his tears. I gave him everything. And now he rejects me and his children turn away from me. And now they're going on to a destructive path and they don't listen to anything that I say. And Jesus cries out, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And it is the lips of God that saying, I'm shattered, I'm devastated, but I cannot, I will not give them up. Look, this is more than mere affection. This is more than simple sentimentality. This is the love that created the world. Look, if it helps, maybe think of it like this. Children don't actually understand an adult's love for them because, let's be honest, children are still relatively simplistic in their view of the world. Here's how a child looks at the way that a parent loves him or her. <laughs> a child says, boy, they wouldn't even give me $80 for this new game I wanted. And yet they could go out and spend $1,000 on a new refrigerator. Parents' love for their children is bigger and wiser than a child can understand. 
we often have a child-sized view of God. It's one of the biggest problems that we struggle with. We struggle to truly believe that God is bigger and wiser than we will ever be, that his love is complex, and that he is always working all things together for our good, even when he doesn't pander to our every whim. Even when we think that he's forgotten us. Even when things go terribly wrong. And the proof, the evidence of God's love is Jesus. Look, God's love is not just a theory or an idea or a feeling. God's love is a real flesh and blood person. God's love is born. God's love makes himself vulnerable, killable. God has so bound himself to us that he will not experience the fullness of joy until you and I stand before him forever and for that joy Jesus endured the cross and when that sinks in when that goes from being a Sunday school song Jesus loves me this I know to being the core truth upon which your life is built, when that becomes real and fresh and new to you every morning, it changes you. Look, to be a Christian, to be a true gospel-believing, cross-bearing, Jesus-following Christian is to have your heart awakened to the power of life in Christ. So that every morning when you wake up, it's like a little preview of the coming resurrection of the dead. And you make the sign of the Holy Cross and you say in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And you remember your baptism where you are supernaturally united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, you open yourself up. You make yourself completely vulnerable to him. And then what delights God begins to delight you. And what brings him pleasure becomes your deepest passion. Now everything that you think, your attitudes, your words, your actions are rooted in this love. And that in return opens your life to the people around you. The love of God for you enables, it empowers, it equips, it transforms you to show love to others. First we receive it and then we bear witness to it in our lives. 
So what do we have so far? First, God's love. That's, that's the gathering love of the hen for her chicks. It transcends all understanding. Secondly, God's love is a hands-on love. It is personal. It is intimate. Jesus dwelled among us, and we have seen the glory of God on the cross, full of grace and truth. But finally, and this is where we're going to end, finally, God's love is costly. Look, there are two inexpensive ways to love and one costly way. The two inexpensive ways are pretty simple. One is you simply keep your mouth shut. You never challenge or confront a person. You compromise the truth. The other inexpensive way is to simply give up, condemn, reject, and hold people at arm's length. Both of those are pretty cheap at least initially, compromise or condemn. But in Jesus, God refuses to do either. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus wrestles with the cost of God's love. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. You all are being called to the cross to receive and to bear witness to the costliness of God's love. Paul, who was one of Jesus' first followers, wrote to some believers in Galatians, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. And then Peter adds on to that, that the price was not gold or silver, but the holy precious blood and the innocent suffering and death of Jesus. And when you receive that love, then you cannot help but bear witness to it by engaging people, by being loving and kind, which turns out to be a whole lot harder and a lot more expensive of your time and your treasure and your talents than simply compromising or condemning. Now, surely some of the saddest words in the whole Bible are on the screen right now. How I long to gather you, and you were not, you were not willing. Look, there's really two ways that you can go from here, or maybe three when I stop to think about it. One way is to say, you know, I don't even buy this whole idea of a God as the foundation for my life. And I'm not even sure I believe in the God that you're describing to me. To be honest with you, I don't feel a need for it. Look, I'm glad that, that you, and if it satisfies you, that's great, but I don't need it. The second way, and I think perhaps the more dangerous option for those of us who are gathered here is to believe that religious obedience is the ticket and that you have already got your ticket punched. That you've gone to church, you've studied the Bible, you said some prayers, you've given away some money, you've volunteered your time, but your heart is not really on fire for this complex, personal, costly love of Jesus. And so Jesus' words are ominous. Your house is forsaken. But I'm going to close with this, and I want you to look at it very closely, because it's never too late 
If today for the first time or for the 10,000th time you feel the embrace of God's love for you in Jesus and your heart begins to vibrate with the words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, then in the midst of your moments of suffering, you will be able to say, God, I don't like this. God, take this away from me. But God, I trust that you are up to something beyond my comprehension in the midst of it. And when you start to worry about all of the junk that's going on in the world and you remember how God has invested in you that he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also graciously give us all things and the sorrowing and the worrying and the sighing begin to fade and when you feel the weight of your own sin when Satan keeps whispering his lies in your ears and you remember the price that Jesus paid it will transform your guilt into the power of God's love in such a way that it will keep everything else in your life in its proper perspective. Look, this week, this week when you feel yourself being sucked under by the mess that the world is, I need you to take a step back. I want you to ponder the cross. It is finished. He is risen. Your sins are forgiven. You have been born again. Let God's love lift you up above the din of the world, the war and inflation and the struggles of your own life. People, you have the peace that passes all understanding. But faith is not an escape from the world. Faith is a hands-on engagement with the world, not compromising or condemning, but investing yourself, sacrificing your time and your money and your ability, I don't know, to serve refugees from Ukraine or to buy a tank of gas for someone who's struggling to make ends meet, or, or to connect people to resources that they can't access by themselves. Look, just watch for opportunities and be creative. You are called to receive and now to go bear witness to the unfathomable love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen.